Thank you for listening to this podcast from Living Hope Church in Skokie, Illinois, featuring the preaching of Pastor Daniel Mann. For more information about our church, please visit us online at www.livinghopechicago.com. We trust that today's message will encourage you in your relationship with God. Well, it is such a joy to be with you guys today. We've had such good fun being in Chicago. My wife and I have visited before, but it's only been for a day or so or an afternoon, and then we're just on our way somewhere else. But we've gotten to spend the last four days here, and we've had a a great time getting to enjoy Skokie and Chicago as well. Got to see a lot of sights, and we have eaten some incredible food. You can tell by the way that I'm built that I enjoy. I enjoy a good meal. And I uh, went to, to eat some incredible pizza and uh, these little cheese, fried cheese at Herms. At Herms with the, it's, 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 it's cheese, grilled cheese sandwiches. And they're the buns that make up a cheeseburger. So, I, I've never heard of that, but I'd love to shake the man's hand that invented that. That's a genius, genius move. So uh, if, if, if you all don't get a blessing from us being here today, it's changed my life. I'm telling you. <laughs> Being here in the Chicago area. Now, when I first met Daniel, he mentioned earlier, I moved there. Uh, my wife and I got married. We moved there in June of 2000. And uh, Daniel was, I believe, a sophomore in high school. So I got to know him for a, a, a couple of years. And he and his family just uh, so wonderful. They were just willing to do anything and everything. And actually, he mentioned some stories. All I'm going to do today is just read a verse. And then Sister Linton, the lady he mentioned earlier, has written down a lot of stories for me. I'm just going to read a bunch of stories about... I'm just kidding. I'm joking. I'm kidding. No, it, it really... Their, their family was such a joy to be there. And they moved to eastern North Carolina, actually where I'm originally from, and then moved out there. Uh, they moved out there a few years after we were there in ministry. But Daniel mentioned that he answered the call to preach there in high school. It was in a high school, a chapel service. Our pastor preached, and I had the opportunity to kneel in prayer with him and pray with him as he accepted God's call on his life life. And our pastor, uh, I wish you could meet our pastor. One day I'm sure he'll come and you all get a chance to meet him. He is an individual unlike any other. When God, you ever heard the, the, the phrase, when God made him, they broke the mold? That is absolutely the truth with my father-in-law, our pastor, Dr. Curtis Linton. And so he told Daniel, after he'd gotten up off the, off the altar, we were talking about him answering the call to preach. And he said, okay, Daniel, this is a Wednesday morning. He said, you're going to preach your first message this coming Sunday night. And you can imagine, I mean, as a young man, he hadn't done very much public speaking at that, at that time at all in his life. And so we got there that Sunday night and it already prepared in my mind, I'm going to amen this kid, I'm going to be supportive, I'm going to smile because he is going to absolutely do a horrible job because it, it's his first time, you know. And I can tell you this, honestly, my wife was there when he spoke that first night. It was evident, very evident that God, he had answered God's call on his life and God had gifted him to preach. Uh, Daniel's a tremendous young man. Trem- absolutely, yeah. <laughs> tremendous young man. Tremendous young man of God. And we're so excited about what he and his family are doing here in Skokie. So why don't we, without any further ado, get right into the message today. If you will, turn your Bibles to John chapter 12. So we're going to be at in Scripture today. John chapter 12. We're only going to read a couple of verses this morning. And then we're going to comment on them. We're going to look in John chapter 12, and we're going to look at two verses, verses 42 and 43 of John chapter 12. Just to give you a little bit of introduction in the text here, the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell the story of Jesus, His birth, His earthly ministry here on earth. 
And as Jesus was ministering on earth, he was always confronted by different groups of people. Of course, there were individuals who were always interested in what he had to say and what he might do, what the next miracle was going to be. They were kind of there sort of for the entertainment, if you will, there for the show, maybe there for what they could get out of Jesus. I have a loved one with a need or I have a need, and so maybe I can get to meet him and he can heal me or touch me. Then there were other groups of individuals that followed Jesus wherever he went. And those were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the lawyers. They were the religious professionals of their day. They knew the law backwards and forwards. They kept every little jot and tittle outwardly anyway for outward show. And they made a good living at being religious professionals. And what they did and the control that they exerted over their countrymen had a great deal to do with the law. And then Jesus comes and begins to teach things like, I am come to fulfill the law. And he begins to teach things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me, Jesus said. And you can imagine what this must have done to these religious professionals. They hated Jesus. As a matter of fact, if you study out the Gospels, you see that they played a key role in his crucifixion, though we know ultimately it was a sovereign God who sacrificed his own life. But these groups are following Jesus around everywhere he's teaching. And then we come across another group that we don't see recorded very often, and we read about them here in verses 42 and 43 of John chapter 12. Read with me if you will. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers... Also, many believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Verse 43, For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Here we see another group. They're referred to in this passage as the chief rulers. Now these were not religious rulers, they were civic rulers. They were government officials. They were individuals who may be like a senator or a governor or a civic official of some sort. And they traveled around as well. We can see from the text they were buddies with the religious rulers. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the lawyers. And they were traveling around listening to Jesus as well. The only difference between many of them and these Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, and lawyers is that this passage just told us many of them believed what Jesus was teaching. They heard Jesus say things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. They heard Jesus say things like, I have come to fulfill the law. And they realized that this man was speaking the truth. He was verifying it through signs and wonders and proving that he was indeed the Son of God incarnate. And the text tells us that they believed on him. But it also tells us something very sad. They would not confess him. Though they believed and began to understand that what he was saying was the truth, they would not confess him. And the Bible tells us something very important about belief and confession. Romans 10, 9 and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Though these individuals were in the presence of Jesus Christ, can you imagine what that must have been like to witness firsthand many of the accounts that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell us about? Must have been amazing. 
mind-blowing. Yet these men put, they began to believe what he was saying, but they never put their full faith in Christ by confessing him as their Savior and confessing him and their, their sins and asking him to forgive them of their sins. So these men, though they were face to face with Jesus Christ, they might have well been a thousand miles away. I see in this text three obstacles that kept these men from Jesus. And I believe it's the same three obstacles, the same three basic concepts that keep two different groups of people from knowing God's truth and, and really fulfilling God's will in their life. Number one, that keep, these obstacles keep unbelievers from ever confessing Jesus Christ. If you've never known Jesus, probably one of these three obstacles or all of them are what have kept you from confessing Him and believers from full Christ-likeness. Because we understand that when I get saved, God has just begun His work in me. And so salvation then leads to sanctification as I am to grow more and more into the image of Christ. So these obstacles here today, I believe these three obstacles, keep unbelievers from from knowing Christ and keep believers from Christ-likeness. And today we're going to look at the concept and consider the question, what does it take to keep you from Jesus? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your Word. And Lord, we understand and confess this morning that anything that's done today, any any powerful work, any move of the Spirit will all be because of your words, not mine. I understand that, God. Lord, I pray that you would take these feeble concepts, these feeble words that I'm going to, to proclaim today, and Lord, you would wrap them with the timeless truth of your word that we've read today. And Lord, that you'd use it to do a work in our heart. Teach us from your word today, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. So we're looking here at three obstacles in verses 42 and 43 that keep unbelievers from ever accepting Christ and keep believers from ever being like Christ the way that God wants them to be. The first obstacle I see here is position. Position. If you look there in verse 42, the Bible refers to this group as the chief rulers. The chief rulers. These were government officials. I already mentioned this already. They were civic leaders in their community. Everyone looked at the chief rulers. Probably everyone knew who the chief rulers were. They knew their name. They knew where they lived. They saw them at events. And they knew that these were our leaders. These are our governors. These are the people in charge of what goes on in our community. And they, I'm sure, recognize that everyone watched them. And everyone was looking at them. And everyone acknowledged who they were and knew who they were. And as they considered the truth that Jesus was speaking and the Holy Spirit began to do a work in their heart that they understood, yes, this really is the truth of God, in their mind came this idea, wait, I'm a chief ruler. I'm one of the big dogs. I'm one of the guys that everybody looks at. And so if I confess my faith in Jesus Christ... It's not like somebody that nobody knows, like some shepherd or somebody that, you know, not not a big job, not important, if you will. If they accept, nobody's going to pay attention. But if I do, everybody's going to know. They're not just going to know, they're going to talk about it. And they're going to, can you believe that this chief ruler, he's accepted Christ. And he claims to be a follower of Christ. Can you believe it? And I'm sure that as the Holy Spirit began to speak that truth into their hearts, one of the things that the devil brought into their mind was, hey man, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't get ahead of yourself. You're a chief ruler, man. You have position. 
And as a result, it kept them from ever knowing the truth and confessing the truth the way that God would have them. He said, now wait a minute, Brother Zach. None of us in here, or at least as far as I know, None of us in here are mayors and congressmen and senators and, and what have you. I mean, if there is anybody, raise your hand. I'd like to, know, <laughs> like to meet you. I want to get my picture taken with you. But Do you raise your hand back there, Susan? <laughs> but uh, we, we, we don't have position like that. So what are you talking about? How does that apply to us? We may not have the position that these rulers had, but somebody knows us. And somebody knows you. And you've been coming to church for maybe a little while. Your, your kids know you, right? Your loved ones know you. There are people that know about you. And if you ever really commit to Christ, there's going to be somebody that's going to take notice. And you know it. And you're aware of it. And by the way, that's part of God's plan. That's part of what He intended, that our lives would be examples to others and they would see Him shining through us and take notice of it. But when we think about that idea and how it may affect us, that might not be quite exciting a concept. People are going to notice. People are going to take, uh, uh, pay attention. Maybe people are going to talk about us. Maybe someone's not going to like it. Maybe someone's going to have something to say to me if I decide I'm really going to sell out for God. Maybe my parents, maybe my children, maybe loved ones, friends, someone as a result of my position with them... Someone may see it and notice it, and they may not like it. You know, that's what one of the things that kept these chief rulers from ever accepting Christ. Because they were worried about what somebody else might think. And friend, may I encourage you and challenge you today, if you're going to spend your spiritual experience in life always concerned about what someone else is going to think, then you're going to do very little for God. You're going to accomplish very little for Him because people are always going to think. People are always going to say. People are always going to talk. People are always going to have their opinion, right? You've heard the saying that opinions are like armpits. Everybody's got a couple of them and most of them stink, you know. That's how we... All of us have opinions, right? All of us do. And we can't live our lives concerned about everybody else's opinion and my position with them and how that's going to affect me. We need to spend our lives concerned about the opinion of one, right? Concerned about the opinion of what God thinks. So we see, number one, this first obstacle was the obstacle of position. Secondly, we see the obstacle of peer pressure. Peer pressure. Again, look with me in that text. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. Because of the Pharisees, the text says, they were concerned about peer pressure. These men who believed on Jesus were mixed up in the wrong crowd. That's what it boils down to. They were friends with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the lawyers. And as a result of that, they let that social crowd that they carried on in, they let that control what they were going to do with Jesus. The peer pressure. And I know peer pressure is a concept a lot of times that we talk about with young people, right? And you hear folks talk about to young people, especially as it results to, to, to drugs or alcohol or things like that or, or promiscuous sex outside of marriage. Don't give in to peer pressure. Don't give in to peer pressure. But you know what? I just turned 37 last month. And I still deal with peer pressure. I still struggle with peer pressure. And I think... 
that if we're all honest, regardless of our age in here today, we all deal with peer pressure. And our social crowd and our friends and those around us and the influence that they have on us. Let me tell you a story real quick. I was good friends with a kid when I was growing up named Zachary Bell. You know Zach Bell. Zachary Bell's a, an assistant pastor at a church in North Carolina. And Zach was a couple of years, no, he was a year older than me. And, and so when you're a kid, you know, when you're little, a year is a big deal. I mean, they're, they're a lot bigger, a lot cooler than you, you know, perception. And he came over to my house to play one time, and my folks have a, had a pretty good-sized yard, had a little creek that ran down beside it, and on the other side of the creek was a big forest. And we got down and played at the creek, and my parents would let us play down there, but they always told me, don't ever cross over the creek. You can't go on the other side. You can play down there at it, splash around a little bit, but don't cross the creek. Well, we get down there, and Zachary, he always loved to, of course, I would never do anything like this on my own. But he always loved to push the envelope. You know, you ever met a kid who does that? I think that we may have brought a few with us. But he always loved to push the envelope and just see what he could get away with. And so he said, why don't we cross the creek, man, and play over there? And I I determined, because I was such a good kid, I determined, you know what, I'm going to go ask mom and dad. And so I went and talked to dad. And dad said, sure, you can play on the other side of the creek, but don't go very far. Don't get out of the side of the house. So we get over there, and we're playing on the other side of the creek and having a ball, having a great time, man. And we're splashing and playing and got the sticks and doing the sword fights and all that. And Dad comes out, and he's got my little brother with him, and they're in the yard. So I begin to justify in my mind that, well, he's out of the yard. Now somebody, one of my parents is out where they can see us. We can go a little further. And we went a little further, and Zach said, man, let's go a little further. Let's go to where the tree line is. And long story short, we end up about a half mile down through the forest at what's called the Little River. And the Little River is not very little. It's funny that they call it that because it's a large, rushing river. Neither one of us very good swimmers at that time, eight, nine years old. And we're playing down the Little River having a ball. And I can finally hear in the distance a very faint voice. But you can tell it's at the top of their lungs, you know what I mean, from way off. They're calling, Zach! Zach, both of us, I'm Zach and he's Zachary, so they're called Zach. And a cold chill went down my spine because I knew that to be the voice of my father. And I could tell he was calling a bit from fear and worry, but he was also calling from a place of anger. And we began to run as quickly as we could back home. And the next hour or so, if I live to be a thousand, I won't forget the events, and I'm not going to share them all in detail with you today, but needless to say, I never crossed that creek again. When I visit my parents' house now as a father of two children, I do not cross the creek because of what happened that day. I let peer pressure get to me. And that's a, that's a corny illustration, I know, but that's how peer pressure works, isn't it? It's how peer pressure works in every one of our lives. And if we're not careful, we spend too much of our life concerned about what other people think about us. Concerned about what, what my friends and my social circle are doing and want me to do. And as a result, we live our lives not in mind of God's will, but in mind of their will. And that's exactly what happened to these, these chief rulers. Because of the Pharisees, the obstacle of peer pressure kept them from Jesus. And then we're going to look at a third one. Again, we see it here in verse 43. Look with me there. The Bible says, For they loved the praise of men more than the praise 
of God. I want to read that verse one more time and think about what it's telling us. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. The third obstacle I see here in this passage that keeps unbelievers from Jesus and ever accepting Him and keeps believers from Christ's likeness is the obstacle of pride. Pride. Do you know that God hates pride? Did you know that pride is what transformed and devolved Lucifer? One of the greatest creating, created beings in, in all of heaven devolved Lucifer into Satan. Pride did that. The Bible says that God hates a prideful heart. These men ultimately were just simply too proud to come to Christ in humility and humbly ask for His forgiveness of their sins and humbly submit to Him as Lord and Savior of their lives. Pride. And you know, I mentioned about peer pressure that we all, no matter what our age is, that we all deal with it. Same thing with pride, right? doesn't matter how old I get. And you know what? It doesn't matter how many times God tries to teach me that I need to be humble. I still deal with that monster of pride, that little tiny man inside of me that wants to be noticed and wants to be you know, looked up to and wants to be celebrated and wants everybody to think he's great. I still deal with pride. We all struggle with pride. If these men were going to come to Jesus that day, hey, remember now, they're chief rulers. They were somebody in their social circle. They were somebody in their community. They were a big deal. If these men were going to come to Jesus, it was going to involve a great deal of humility. A great deal of laying aside their own pride and admitting they needed Jesus. And I'll tell you today, friend, that's what all of us have to admit. If we're going to come to Christ, that's what all of us are going to have to do. A willingness to lay aside my pride and admit to myself and to God and to others that I can't do, I can't live this life. I can't be all that I'm supposed to be aside from the help of Almighty God. I need God. Admitting my weakness. I don't know about you, but I don't like to admit my weaknesses. I don't like for people to notice where I fall short. I don't like to, 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 to magnify and admit my hang-ups and my problems. But if I come to Christ, I may not list them out specifically, but I'm admitting that I have them. And you know, so many times at our church we'll give an altar call after the message and, and people are given an opportunity to come to the front and, and to pray and someone can pray with them if they like. And, and I've mentioned this so many times in an altar call. It's funny to me, Brother Daniel, how many individuals who've been part of a church for years, at our church, decades, and you never see them ever come to the front and admit that they have a problem. I'm not saying that they aren't saved, but I wonder if they're living the, all the life that God has for them because they never admit their weakness. They never admit that they struggle. They never admit that they have problems bigger than themselves. Well, I'll tell you, I'll be the first to admit today, I do. 
I do. I've had them before. I've got a few now, and I know I'm going to have some if I keep on living. That's just part of being a human. But if we're going to come and we're going to admit those things, it's going to be a humiliating process. Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. And let me share this with you, encourage you with this. If you come forward, if you admit publicly that you've got some problems, you're not surprising anybody. That's right. You know why? Because all of us have them. That's right. Everybody. Whether you want to admit it or not, whether you want anybody to know about it or not, you may look and sound and act buttoned up and put together, and, man, I am just... But you ain't. You ain't. You're not. You're not all of that because we're humans and we're a fallen race ever since Adam when he turned his back on God. And, and you know what? We're, 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 we're guilty and we're sinful by association, but we're also guilty and, and sinful by commission ourselves. We committed things and done things we shouldn't have done, and we're all in the same boat. And we all need the same God. Amen? Amen. We all need the same Jesus. We all need the same blood shed for our Amen. sin account. And, and hopefully, if you do know Jesus, I trust that you do, we're all going to end up in the same heaven. We're all going to the same place. We're all going to sing a new song together. And we're all going to worship Him for eternity. And I'm excited about that. But hey, friend, we've got to get past these obstacles. Position, peer pressure, pride. Let me close with this, this story. I went to college. Daniel, Melissa, my wife, myself, we all attended Southeastern Free Will Bible College. It's a small college in Wendell, North Carolina. When you introduced yourself earlier, Wendell, I thought that's what's where this college is, Wendell, North Carolina. But if, you're, if you go there it's, and you live in North Carolina, it's Wendell because you've you got to say it differently there. But we all went there, and, and it's a small college. And by small, I mean it's tiny. But God, God used it in my life, made a huge impact in our lives, our families, and many others. And when you go there, uh, uh, one of the big emphasis there at the school is music. There are a lot of young people that, that go there, and, and they sing, and they play an instrument, and they go there to sharpen those skills. And to, to, to advertise for the college and promote the college, there's a group that uh, well, we all uh, participated in there. Uh, there's a choir, an ensemble, and then there's a men's quartet. And growing up just an hour from the college, they were always where I was. They came down and were always promoting the college. And from the time I was a young person, very young kid, I thought it would be the ultimate achievement to be able to sing in that choir and that ensemble and maybe even to sing in that quartet. I thought that would be it. And I got there as a freshman and I made the choir and I made the ensemble and I made the quartet. And man, I just thought I had arrived. I thought I had done something. Now, this school runs about 100 150 kids, but I thought I had done something. And we would go to these churches and, and sing. And it was, it was always, Daniel, I don't know if this was your experience, always the, the, the elderly that would come and tell us we did a great job. And I appreciated every comment and do much respect to every elderly individual and senior saint of God. I have much respect for you. But I believe after a time that I realized these little old ladies were coming to me and telling me how well I sang because they... They really couldn't hear that well. <laughs> Their hearing had dulled, and what they thought they were hearing wasn't exactly what they were hearing. Anyway, so I traveled for a while, and, and boy, I, I really liked hearing that. It made me feel good. And after a while, it didn't just make me feel good. It made me feel good. You know, I thought I was somebody, and I thought I was a singer, man, and I could really... 
until we got to a conference, a missions conference at the school, and there were probably seven, 800 people, maybe 1,000 folks there that day. And our quartet was going to sing the song right before this preacher preached. And everyone's listening with rapt attention. And I had the solo that day. And I sang my solo and the quartet came in with me. And we finished. There's a, what's called a bridge that ends, goes, goes to the bridges, the, the chorus to the end of the song. And it's a really high note that I was going to hit sing. High for me anyway. And my music professor, Terry Siebert, after it was over with, told me, did not re- think to tell me beforehand, we'd had the piano tuned the day before, and it was tuned two keys too high. You can imagine where the story's going now. Got to the bridge, and everything seemed okay. And I start to hit that high note. Any of you remember the TV show Tarzan? Tarzan the Ape Man? You remember the yell that he would do? It sounded a little bit like this. Something like that. That's exactly what I sounded like when I tried to sing that note. Exactly. My wife can testify. She was there at the time she was my fiancée, but she was there. If I could have dug a hole into the stage and crawled in it, I'd still be there. I was so embarrassed. Oh, I was crushed. Looked like a total idiot in front of all these people. Since then, I've done that scores of times. But that day, oh, it bruised my pride. Oh, I was, boy, I was embarrassed. Walked out the back doors, and I thought about getting in my car and just driving away and never coming back. But I knew that wasn't what I should do. I went back around and Went back and sat down beside my then fiance and my wife, when she gets really tickled, when she gets really tickled about something, she heaves when she laughs. This is, and so she's, but she tries to control it. And I'm coming back and I can see her and she has her head down. She's trying, bless her heart, but she can't do it. She is doing this, man. She is heaving. It's a bad, bad deal. Listen, I don't remember a thing the pastor, the, the preacher said that day because the whole time the Holy Spirit was working on me about how, what a prideful person I was and about how I needed to, to really begin to see myself for who I was apart from Him. Listen, whatever skill you have, whatever talent you may possess, whatever amount of money you may have in a bank account, Whatever amount of people may know your name, it's not because of you. It's because of God's grace and God's blessing and God's gift on your life. Man, don't let pride, number one, keep you from Jesus in the first place, and number two, keep you from being all that God would have you to be. So as we look at these three men, these, these, these chief rulers in closing, and we consider these three obstacles, number one, position, number two, peer pressure, number three, pride. What about you today? The Holy Spirit spoke into your heart about maybe one of those particular obstacles that's keeping you from Jesus or keeping you from being all that He would have you to be. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your precious word and how it teaches us. And it can encourage us when we're down. It can teach us things that we need to know. It can also warn us.
And Lord, with your help, that's what I've tried to do from your word today. Warn us. Warn us that we don't want to let anything keep us from you. God, I pray that as we consider this passage, consider this, this, this warning from your word, Lord, may we allow the word to do its work in our hearts that you designed for it to do. May we, like David in Psalm 139, say, Search me, O God. Try me. Know me. See if there be any wicked way in me. Change me. Cleanse me. Make me who you want me to be. And Lord, we know that if we'll do that, then you'll do your work in our lives. And you'll cleanse us of sin. And you'll draw us closer to yourself. And you'll empower us to be all that you would have us to be. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for living hope. Thank you for Daniel and Melissa, Carly, Colby, their faithfulness to you. Thank you for these dear people that are attending this church. Lord, we understand that Living Hope Church isn't a building and never will be. It's these good folks here. Lord, we thank you for those that are coming. Hadn't heard yet. Don't know about Living Hope yet. Haven't had a chance to shake these folks' hands and hug their necks and get to know them. But they're coming. We're going to go ahead and thank you for them too. And for the impact this church is already making here in Skokie and for the impact it's going to continue to make and for its scope that it's going to, to, going to impact in Chicago, in this country, and around this world. For your glory and for your kingdom. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. If you committed your life to Jesus Christ today or made a spiritual decision, we'd like to know about it. Please contact us online at www.livinghopechicago.com. We hope you will join us next time for another encouraging message from God's Word.